just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Saturday. It's Christmas Eve for those of you that celebrate Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas Day. So it's kind of a busy weekend for a lot of folks. It's a holiday weekend for a lot of folks. And I was trying to decide as I was getting ready to record this, should I even record it? I mean, is anybody going to really have time to listen to a podcast on Christmas Eve or especially Christmas Day? And I'm not sure. I know everybody has other things to do, and they should be doing other things. These two days, you should be spending time with friends and family, just kind of de-stressing and enjoying life. Every day of the week, it gets a little stressful out there. There's always a lot of news and always a lot of things to think about. You should take some time to spend with the family. So you're probably thinking to yourself, well, then, Mike, why the fuck did you do the podcast and why are you going to do one tomorrow? I'll tell you why. I worked in the radio business for many years, and one of the problems with the radio business is if your shift happens to fall on a holiday, too fucking bad. You get to do it. That's the way it's been all of my life while I was in radio. And it was a problem when it came to having little kids and such. If I had to work on a holiday, it was kind of annoying. Uh, well, this is a holiday, but this isn't really that big a problem because, as I say, I'm sitting here at midnight on Saturday morning, Christmas Eve morning. Uh, everybody's asleep. I could either watch TV or do a podcast. So I thought, make myself fucking useful. Do the podcast. There's still plenty of stuff to talk about out there. So that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing it. If you don't have time to listen, I get it, man. It's the holidays. But for those of you that want to hear it, it will be here for you. And that's the important thing. When you're doing something like a podcast or TikToks or radio shows, consistency is important. Not everybody celebrates Christmas. Not everybody has as much to do. So if that's the case and those people are looking for something to do, well, you'll always have the Rational Boomer podcast. I'm just committed to that. And uh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of the holiday. Trust me, the holiday is big to me because I got grandkids. And this will probably be the most fun I've had during Christmas season in a long time. Because when your kids grow up, it's not the same. You have dinner. You give them a card with money in it, and it's just not exciting. Now, my granddaughter and my grandson, there are certain things they really like. And, of course, my wife and I went out and bought those things, much to the chagrin of my son and his wife. Don't buy too much. (laughs) Fuck that. I'm buying as much as I want. You You can try to put me in my place and try to stop me from buying a lot of stuff for my grandkids. That ain't going to fucking work. We're doing what we want to do. And by the time the kid opens up the the present, you're certainly not taking it away from him. So I'm looking forward to this Christmas. And I always look forward to doing the podcast, too. It's nice to connect with with you folks. Because, and I know this, this sounds cliche, everybody says this. 
but I truly mean it. Um, when it comes to the Rational Boomer TikToks and the Rational Boomer podcast, I see it as a community. A lot of people of a like mind, a family, if you will. And again, that's where the cliche comes in. Most of you don't know me and I don't know you. So to call us family is kind of a misnomer. But we are connected in a way. We meet on the Rational Boomer podcast or the TikToks. We think alike. We want the same things for this country. So I think it's important that uh, I take my time with another part of my family during the holidays, whether you celebrate the holidays or not. I wanted to uh, bring something up, too. Of course, yesterday I did a regular podcast, like you'd normally expect, but I did a second extra podcast. And on that podcast, I had a guest. His name is Trisden Reynolds. Now, he is a listener of the podcast, so he was a legitimate guest. But he is also a guy that works in the radio business, also has a podcast. He has a uh, partner by the name of Ray White. Now, Trisden is is a younger guy. I, I don't know. I'm guessing 30s. Um, and Ray White is an older guy like me. And they'd asked me to do their podcast at one time about six months ago. And I'd never really done anybody's podcast before. But, you know me, put a mic in front of me and tell me to talk and the problem is getting me to stop, not getting me to talk. So anyway, I did the podcast and I had a good time. And I really like these guys, which is weird because I don't usually like radio people. If you ever worked in radio, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I always describe radio people, some of the experiences I've had in my radio career, they're kind of like carnies with good voices. It's, it's really a transient group. A lot of them have ego problems. Fortunately, in the case of Trisden and Ray White, not the case. We were able to relate to our similar radio backgrounds and just talk about what was going on in politics. And I appreciated the offer to be on the podcast. I felt like I needed to return the favor, and that's why Trisden was on the show. After it was all said and done, it was a joy to do it. Because Tristan has a radio background and a podcast background, it's easier to bounce off one another. It's kind of like with Ed. You know, I work with Ed so long that it's real easy to do a show. And Tristan was uh, very easy to do the show with. And he has a lot of great insights about what's going on. He's not really a a left-left guy. He's kind of a a left-of-center, mainly. He's more Democratic but he's more moderate, too. So I thought it would be interesting to see the different points of view. But anyway, if you haven't listened to the show, by all means, listen to it. It's a good show. And uh, I have a feeling that Trisden will be back. At some point, he asked me to be on his show again, which, of course, I will do. And I encourage you to check out his podcast. It's called the uh, Extreme Common Sense Podcast. You can get it on Spotify and Apple and Google and Stitcher and all that stuff. But by all means, check it out. They're an interesting couple of guys, and uh, it's an entertaining show. Trisden's from Kentucky, and uh, that offers a different perspective. And, of course, I asked all the important questions, like, where the fuck did you get the name Trisden? And what's the deal with Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul? So if you haven't heard that, check it out on the uh, Rational Boomer podcast just before this one. 
So on this Christmas Eve, what do we have going on? Well, we have some good news, some interesting news, if you will. A $1.7 trillion spending bill financing federal agencies through September and providing more aid to a devastated Ukraine cleared the House on Friday as lawmakers raced to the finish their work for the year and avoid a partial government shutdown. You've been hearing about this a lot. We're worried about the government shutdown, and of course, the MAGA faction of the Republicans want the country to shut down. They think this will give them an angle to start cutting our entitlements, as they call them. They certainly aren't entitlements. We're talking about Social Security. We're talking about Medicare. They want to cut that stuff. What they fail to understand is by shutting down the country, it impacts a lot of people negatively. Not just the middle class, not just the poor, but the rich, too, who are their constituents. Now, the interesting thing about it is, and this is something I've talked about before, the interesting thing about it is not all Republicans were against it. In fact, in the Senate, in the Senate, the bill passed 68 to 29. Now, we know there are only 50 Democratic senators in the Senate at this point until January 3rd. So that means 18 Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, had to vote for this bill. This is a big spending bill. And as I've talked about this before, the Republicans find them el- themselves in a tight spot. At least the reasonably minded Republicans find themselves in a tight spot. They're trying to step away from MAGA, from Donald Trump. But then what do you do? Well, ultimately, the only thing you can do is negotiate with the Democrats. So instead of being obstructionists like they normally have been, Mitch McConnell and his crew uh, decided to negotiate with the Democrats. Now, in this negotiation, uh, the Democrats had to compromise some by giving the Republicans some things that they want. Not always great things, but this is how the system works in Washington, D.C. A lot of horse trading. You get that, I'll give you this, and so forth. That's kind of how it happened. The important thing is that it passed the Senate by 18 Republican votes, which is crazy. Now, this drove the MAGAs in the House of Representatives batshit crazy. They're still in their minds thinking, all we've got to do is own the libtards. We've got to obstruct this. Don't let the libtards get anything. But these Republicans, these reasonably minded Republicans have said, oh, shit, we've got two options. We can either side with MAGA, and we know that's a loser. Just look at the midterms. Everything they do is a fucking losing proposition. So we can't do that. We got 2024 coming up. We got to make it look like we do something. We can't just sit here with our thumbs up our asses. So they have to negotiate with the Democrats and try to get some things done. Certainly keep the country open first and foremost. But this bill is huge. It does a lot of things. Uh, One of the things it does, too, is it closes a, um, a loop 
on the uh, January or well on the uh, certification of the electoral college votes after a presidential election. We know they didn't get far enough to overturn the election and uh, and uh, not certify the uh, the electoral votes as much as Mike Pence maybe wanted to. Uh, but this bill inside this omnibus bill uh, closed that loop, so it's going to make it all the all the more tougher. And and of course Republicans were for this too. Um, so then, after it goes through the Senate, now it has to go through the House. Now keep in mind, Democrats currently hold the majority in the House, so it was important to get this done before the Christmas break for Congress and before January 3rd. The bill passed in the House, mostly along party lines, 225 to 201. Now it goes to Joe Biden to sign it into law, which, of course, he will do. The passage of the bill represented a closing act for Nancy Pelosi. This is the final thing she was involved in. Uh, and this is her second stint as a House Speaker. And for the Democratic majority, she led back to power in 2018. Republicans will take control of the House next year, and Representative Kevin McCarthy is campaigning to replace her. Now, he's appealing for support from staunch conservatives in his caucus who have largely trashed the size of the bill and many of the priorities it contains. He spoke with a raised voice. For about 25 minutes, he was ranting. He was going after the bill for spending too much and doing too little to curb illegal immigration and the flow of fentanyl across the U.S.-Mexico border. Well, we know most of the fentanyl isn't coming from Mexico, for Christ's sake, but that fits their, their agenda, their narrative, so that's what they spew. The bottom line is Kevin McCarthy and the MAGA faction don't want anything to pass. I mean, that's been their, their, their platform. There is no platform. That is their platform other than owning the libs. But um, McCarthy took it to a new level. This is what he said. He said, this is a monstrosity that is one of the most shameful acts I've ever seen in this body. More shameful than giving the rich people who don't pay taxes $2 trillion? I don't know, Kev. I might want to debate you on that. McCarthy said of the legislation, the speech prompted a quick quip from Representative Jim McGovern, a Democrat from Massachusetts, who said, after listening to that, it's clear he doesn't have the votes yet, a reference to McCarthy's campaign to become speaker. And, he's, you know, he's probably right. Kevin has to appeal to certain uh, factions, the, the MAGA faction. He thinks that's what's going to get him elected. But what he fails to understand is you got all these people trying to get as far away from MAGA as possible. So, they're not going to vote for him if he's spewing this crazy bullshit. Now, Pelosi said we have a big bill here because we had big needs for the country, then turned her focus to McCarthy. She said, it was sad to hear the minority leader say that this legislation is the most shameful thing to be seen in the House floor in this Congress, Pelosi said. I can't help but wonder if he'd forgotten January 6th.
and she makes a good point. This bill is more shameful than the attempted coup, the attempted insurrection. I don't know, Kev, you might want to get off that because it's not going to go well for you over the next year or so with all the investigations and those sorts of things. Who knows, you might even be investigated, Kevin. Now, the Senate passed the defense-heavy measure. See, that was the takeaway for the Republicans. They wanted more money for the Defense Department, which is funded at an outrageous level, far more than any other country or multiple countries put together um, just below us. But this got bipartisan support, a significant amount of bipartisan support on Thursday. Uh, But the vote was much more split in the House because the House is more MAGA. Some 30 GOP lawmakers promised to block any legislative priority that comes from those Republican senators who voted for the bill and leadership urged a no vote. Now, the bill runs for 4,155 pages, not including the amendments. Now, it contains about a 6% increase in the spending for domestic initiatives to $772.5 billion. Spending on defense programs will increase by 10%. Don't you like that? We're increasing the defense budget, which is already outrageously funded, by 10%. But domestic initiatives are only increased by 6%. That's a giveaway the Democrats had to give the Republicans in order to get this fucking thing passed. Now, the bill's passage came only hours before financing for federal agency expires. Lawmakers have passed two stopgap spending measures to keep the government operating so far uh, on this budget year. And a third was set to bypass or pass on Friday, as well as ensure services continue until Biden could could sign a full year measure called an omnibus into the law. Now. It's important to understand the massive bill wraps together like 12 appropriation bills, aid to Ukraine, disaster relief for communities recovering from hurricanes, flooding, and wildfires. It also contains scores of policy changes that lawmakers work to include in the final major bill. So this does a lot of shit. Now, lawmakers provided roughly $45 billion to Ukraine and NATO allies, more than Even Biden requested an acknowledgement that future rounds of funding are not guaranteed with a new GOP-led House. And we know that's true. We know the GOP or the MAGA-led Republicans, if they end up controlling somehow in the House. And the way they're going to control this is Kevin McCarthy needs MAGA to back him in order to get 218 votes. But in order to get their votes, he's going to have to give the fucking house away. He's going to have to give a lot of power away. So what that means is when the Republicans take over the House of Representatives, and if Kevin McCarthy ends up being the Speaker of the House, that means MAGA is going to wield the gavel indirectly or in theory. Uh, And that's not going to spell good things for the Republicans in the House of Representatives, those reasonably minded Republicans in the House of Representatives. They are going to be dealing with a lot of crazy shit, crazy shit that will not 
get them votes. Now, the reasonable-minded Republicans know this. They know this MAGA bullshit, and Donald Trump is a loser. They saw it in the midterms. But these MAGA fucks, they're too caught up in it. They're a cult of personality. So they're going to keep pushing forward with this craziness, this conspiracy theory bullshit. <clears throat> now, of course, the, the other good news from yesterday was the House Select Committee on Thursday, it released its long-awaited final report detailing former Donald Trump's attempted coup to remain in power despite losing the 2020 election and recommendations to prevent such a thing from happening again. Now, we know they were laser-focused on Donald Trump here. They were pointing at Donald Trump. They basically said in this 845-page report, that uh, none of this would have happened if not for Donald Trump. The buck stops with Donald Trump. But uh, uh, this investigation was also done to try to figure out ways to avoid the problems that occurred on January 6, 2021. And, And again, it goes back to that loophole I told you about as far as counting and certifying the electoral votes. It was pretty secure because even Mike Pence, with the pressure of Donald Trump, couldn't subvert that rule. Um, But they wanted to close the loophole just in case. I mean, that's the one thing about a coup. A failed coup is nothing more than a dress rehearsal for a successful coup. There's a lot that can be learned when you attempt a coup and you fail, And those things can be adjusted when you try it a second time. And if we think the MAGA fucks wouldn't try it a second time, we are fooling ourselves. Now, Liz Cheney said from the beginning, Donald Trump's fraud allegations were concocted nonsense designed to prey upon the patriotism of millions of men and women who love our country, said Liz Cheney. She wrote in her foreword, most Americans also did not know exactly how Donald Trump, along with a handful of others, planned to defeat the transfer of presidential power on January 6th. This was not a simple plan, but it was a corrupt one. And, you know, that's that's the thing we found out since all this evidence is starting to come out. This wasn't about a, a crazy attempt on the Capitol. There was so much more to the plan, the fake electors, the calls from Donald Trump. Um, they, they were coming from all different angles trying to, to accomplish this coup. And as I've said before, for the life of me, I don't know how they weren't successful. They had all three branches on their side. They had the executive branch, the judicial branch. They had the Supreme Court. And with all that going their way, they still couldn't accomplish it. That's not to suggest they won't accomplish it next time. So it's important in the uh, bill that was laid out, the omnibus bill, that they closed up some loopholes just to make sure. Now, the 845-page report released late Thursday night includes 11 recommendations to prevent a president from repeating Trump's efforts to set aside an election, including two recommendations that have already been accomplished. 
The first is to clarify that Congress's role is to ratify, but not alter the results of a presidential election, which goes to the idea that somehow Congress, I mean, that was the game that Donald Trump was playing. Uh, Mike Pence would uh, would uh, not certify the electoral votes. It would then go to the House of Representatives, and because there are, and it would go by state, not by the representatives. It wouldn't be a representative vote. It would be by state, and uh, technically, the Republicans had more states represented in the House than the Democrats did, so that would be the way that they would not certify the electoral vote, give it to the legislature, and then the legislature would reinstall Donald Trump. Sounds crazy, but that was their game. That was their plan. And so so they've kind of closed that loophole. Now, a law doing exactly that was inserted in the government spending bill that passed the Senate on Thursday and cleared the House yesterday. The bipartisan House Select Committee cites the need for accountability. Yeah, I think we could use some fucking accountability and notes that it has already made criminal referrals to the Department of Justice while urging the DOJ to prohibit its lawyers from taking part in campaign related activities aimed at subverting the rule of law and overturning a lawful election. Now, we know that rule wasn't followed. Former Justice Department Jeffrey Clark was specifically cited in the criminal referrals as someone who likely violated the law in his attempt to help Trump's coup. Now, we know what he did. He was in the um, DOJ and he was wanted to send out letters to secretaries of state saying, you got to stop counting because of all the election fraud. Well, of course, that was a ruse. The acting attorney general Rosen said, nah, we're not doing that, thankfully. But what he did was illegal. What he did, he should be accountable for. The other recommendations included doing a better job at countering violent extremism, enforcing the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists serving in office, you know, like those sitting members of Congress that were involved in the insurrection, and designating the January 6th counting of electoral ballots after a presidential election as a national special security event, similar to an inauguration or the State of the Union address. Now, the bulk of the report provides details behind the findings already released. Um, There's a series of presentations that we saw this summer in the hearings. These included both live sworn testimony by witnesses in the Cannon Caucus Room, as well as dozens of snippets of videotape depositions. And the interesting thing is, as we know, all of this is going to be made available to the media, to the DOJ, to the Republicans, to the public. We are all going to be able to see this evidence. And this is going to take its toll on the Republicans. They are going to have problems trying to divert and delay from these things. This was a stroke of genius by uh, Benny Thompson, the chairman of the January 6th committee, to put it out and let everybody see it. And part of the reason they would do that is 
full transparency, of course, but in addition, it puts pressure on the DOJ to do something. They can't sweep something under the rug and say, oh, we didn't know anything about that. We all know everything about everything. What happened there was horrific. Some of the worst crimes against this country that we've seen in our history. The DOJ, if given the choice, they would probably not want to indict a former president because of the divisiveness it would cause in in this country and, and how it's very touchy. But at this point, as I told Trisden yesterday, I think there'd be more fallout if they don't indict Donald Trump, given all we know. So the fact that we know as much as we do about what happened on January 6th, the planning, the conspiracy, the strategy... We know what happened, and we want people to be accountable. Now, they put out a 161-page summary laid out. It laid out the justification for the criminal charges against Trump and others that the committee voted to refer to the Department of Justice and some additional details regarding the witness tampering allegations the committee alluded to previously. And that's an important part of it, that witness tampering. That's a very egregious crime. And clearly, there was some of that going. We know a number of witnesses got death threats and uh, were harassed. Of course, we are hearing more about Cassidy Hutchinson and her testimony and how her own lawyer, who was paid for by a Trump group, tried to convince her to lie. And she needs to get all the credit she can get because she knew better. 26 years old, a young woman. But she knew better than 99% of the rest of the people that were siding with Donald Trump. She knew she could get in trouble. She knows she has a long future because she's young. And she just has some integrity. So she needed to be honest, much to the chagrin of Donald Trump and all the little trump that were, were trying to divert, delay, and distract. Well, she chose not to lie. And this lawyer, his name is Stefan Passantino, I believe his name is. By what he did and the testimony that was received, he's in some fucking deep trouble. He is probably going to be disbarred. And he's not an older guy either. He's a younger, younger man. He's going to be losing his license. And there's an excellent chance he will be prosecuted. I don't know when people are going to learn. The longer you stick with Donald Trump, the faster you will go down the rabbit hole and ultimately destroy your life. People have done it by the dozens to this point. Mark Meadows is a good example. Rudy Giuliani. I mean, Rudy Giuliani was uh, America's mayor, and now he's just a crazy fuck with dye coming down his face. He's a joke, and he's lost his law license as well. Liz Cheney said this. She said, from the beginning, Donald Trump's fraud allegations were concocted nonsense designed to prey upon the patriotism of millions of men and women who love our country. Having Liz Cheney on that committee was invaluable. Kinzinger, too. It helped to make that committee bipartisan so there can be no complaints. Yes, the Republicans will say they're not real Republicans. 
I submit to you they are the only two real Republicans left in the party. I don't agree with them. I wouldn't vote for them. I wouldn't sit down and be their buddy. But I give them credit for their integrity and standing by truth and justice as opposed to lies and criminality. They at least did that. And having them on this committee was a huge help, especially since Kevin McCarthy wanted nothing to do with being involved in this committee, which was a horrible mistake in retrospect. He is going to take a lot of heat, and that may be one of the reasons he doesn't get elected to the Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy fucked up too many times, and that fuck up was a big one. It was a big one. It's going to take down a lot of Republicans, and they didn't even put up a fight. And it was their choice. It wasn't the Democrats taking advantage of them. So Kevin McCarthy, I got to be honest. If Kevin McCarthy was normal and not tied to MAGA, just based on his his, uh, performances in the past, I wouldn't vote for this fuck. He doesn't deserve it. He's not good enough. He's not smart enough. He has no credibility. He has no integrity. Why would you want him as Speaker of the House? Unless the MAGA people feel like he can control them and get him to do what they want him to do. And that may be what ends up happening. All right, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Well, after the January 6th committee released its report and all the evidence, and of course after they referred Donald Trump criminally to the Department of Justice, not surprisingly, Donald Trump was a little miffed. In fact, I'm sure this is going to put a damper on his Christmas, and I don't feel bad. It's probably going to put a damper on Christmas for everybody in his family. Who knows? They may be so distraught over this that they would have to stop their tradition of grabbing one another's genitals under the mistletoe. I don't know. I'm just guessing here. But former President Donald Trump denounced Thursday's final report of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. He called it highly partisan. (laughs) Well, it may be. But that doesn't change the fact that what you did was fucking illegal, and there's evidence of it. Now, in a post on his true social account, Trump sought to deflect blame for the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol by attacking outgoing Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and calling the deadly riot, it was just a protest. He went on to say the highly partisan unselect committee. I just love that when he does that. It's so lame. It's so childish. They're called the select committee. So he's really digging them here by saying the unselect committee. (laughs) What a fucking child. Anyway, the highly partisan unselect committee report purposely fails to mention the failure of Pelosi to heed my recommendation for troops to be used in D.C. Show the peacefully and patriotically words I used to study the reason for the protest, election fraud, witch hunt, he wrote. Now, see, this goes to his old lie where he says, well, it was Nancy Pelosi's job to make sure that the uh, National Guard was there. And I offered 20,000 servicemen and women to be there, but Nancy Pelosi said no. (laughs) Now, now, here's the crazy thing. 
I would like Donald Trump to try to explain this to me. So you're trying to blame this on Nancy Pelosi. You're suggesting that Nancy Pelosi was responsible for these dumb fucks attacking the U.S. Capitol. And they were attacking the U.S. Capitol to disrupt the certification of the electoral count. Why would Nancy do that? I mean, they are counting the votes from the Electoral College to install Joe Biden as the next president of the United States, who happens to be a Democrat. Pelosi happens to be a Democrat. Why in the fucking world would Nancy Pelosi want to disrupt that? See, that's the thing. He just pulls shit out of his ass. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't even care if it makes any sense. He just says shit. Well, the fact of the matter is we know the people in charge making the calls on the National Guard in Washington, D.C. happens to be the folks in the Pentagon. And the man that was in charge of making that call was Michael Flynn's brother, who was just as crazy a fucking conspiracy nut as his brother Michael is. And who were they taking orders from? They were taking orders from Donald Trump. The fact that the National Guard didn't make it to the Capitol till three hours after the fact, is on Donald Trump. And we know what Donald Trump was doing during those three hours. He was sitting in the dining room, probably eating Big Mac after Big Mac, watching it on television and taking great joy in the violence because he thought these people were fighting for him. And maybe they were, but uh, this is all on Donald Trump. And more importantly, the evidence shows that. Many Republicans, including Trump, have long sought to lay the blame on Pelosi for security failures on January 6th, even though she was not responsible for the U.S. Capitol Police and has no authority to call the National Guard in the District of Columbia. And further, like I say, why would she do that? It makes no sense. Her own life and the lives of her staff were also at risk during the storming of the Capitol. I mean, they came into the Capitol saying they wanted to kill Nancy Pelosi and hang Mike Pence. (laughs) Why would Nancy Pelosi be a party to this? I mean, it's so fucking ridiculous. I can't believe there are people that believe this, but there are people that believe this. These trump that will say it was Nancy Pelosi's fault. And the only reason they can say that is because they heard Donald Trump say it. Donald Trump, a pathological liar. You're going to buy that from them. Absolutely, because they're fucking stupid. Now, in the report, the January 6th committee recommended Trump be barred from holding office again, citing Section 3 of the Constitution's 14th Amendment. And you know when they get it to the DOJ, they are going to be pushing that. And they also noted the need for accountability for those involved in the misconduct. Now, Liz Cheney, the vice chair of the committee, said Trump misled many Americans with his lies about the 2020 election, uh, claiming it was stolen. And it was just all bullshit. We talked about that earlier. Representative Benny Thompson, the committee's chair, said those who stormed the Capitol acted on Trump's calls. Our country has come too far to allow a defeated president to turn himself into a successful tyrant by upending our democratic institutions, fomenting violence, and as I saw it, opening the door to those in our country whose hatred 
and bigotry threatened equality and justice for all Americans, Thompson wrote in his foreword. And of course, this upsets Donald Trump. He is mad as hell, and this is what I told you would happen. The more and more he becomes cornered, the more unhinged he will get. The crazier shit he will say. I mean, he's like a monkey throwing shit against the wall. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't know what's going to work because his normal strategies, his normal tactics are not working. And when somebody like him gets in this situation, they just get crazy because it's so foreign to them. They're used to being the bullies. They're used to getting their ways. They're used to having people bail them out. But none of that is happening now. So... He's fucking freaking out. And as time goes on here and and more things happen and the walls close in and he gets more and more cornered, it's going to get crazier. Now, I have to believe at this point, um, people like Mitch McConnell and the Republicans of a normal mindset, or at least a normal mindset now, I don't, you know, I don't see Mitch McConnell... And these normal-minded Republicans really being any different than they were before, they're, they're fucking mercenaries. They don't really care what's right, what's true, what's justice. They only care what's expedient to them, what's going to get them money and votes. And right now they know that Donald Trump and all these crazy conspiracy theories ain't working. They found that out in the midterms. So now they're stepping away from it. So after multiple Senate candidates backed by Donald Trump lost in 2022, the midterms, Mitch McConnell spoke up against Donald Trump. And this is interesting. Now, Donald Trump has talked a lot of shit about Mitch McConnell, and we've been waiting for him to strike back. And he did that. Mitch McConnell chided the former president as being diminished. Now, I don't know what he means by that. Does he mean mentally or in terms of popularity? I'm not sure. But he did something that Republicans were terrified to do, and that speak out against Donald Trump. The Senate minority leader has never been all that big a fan of Trump. He's always backed him, though, when it was expedient. He treated the 45th president more as a useful idiot who allowed him to achieve policy goals. During a recent interview with NBC News, the Kentucky senator ripped into the head of his party. McConnell began saying, here's what I think has changed. I think the former president's political clout has diminished. He continued, we lost support that we needed among independents and moderate Republicans, primarily related to the view they had of us as a party, largely made up by the former president, that we were sort of nasty and tended toward chaos. And oddly enough, even though that subset of voters did not approve of President Biden, they didn't have enough confidence in us in several instances to give us the majority we needed. It's interesting comments. That's very insightful. Everything he said there is absolutely true. The sad thing about this, Mitch McConnell knew this before the midterms, but he wasn't saying it then. He had his fingers crossed, hoping against hope that they might come out not too badly. I mean, 
Mitch McConnell already knew that they were going to lose the Senate. He said as much before the midterms. He could see what was happening. He said the quality of the candidates was bad, and he was right, a la Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz and these fucks. So now, now Mitch McConnell is saying the quiet things out loud. Donald Trump is a fuckhead. We need to step away from Donald Trump. The Kentucky lawmaker closed. In the other states, Trump's support was so significant, we could have spent a lot of money maybe trying to come up with a different candidate and maybe not succeeding. And so my conclusion was that everywhere else we had to play with the cards we were dealt. He knew he was fucked in the Senate because of Donald Trump and because of the craziness and the chaos that Mitch McConnell participated in prior to the midterms. But this is where I say they become mercenary. As much as they were all about chaos and obstructionism, as soon as the midterms hit and they lost, they decided, well, now maybe we better change our mind. Not before. That would have been the smart thing to do to try to save something, to try to make the midterms a little bit better, but they didn't have enough foresight to do that. They had no foresight. They decided to uh, ride or die with Donald Trump, and they fucked up. They fucked up big time. Now, prior to the release of the report, there were a lot of transcripts of depositions given to the January 6th committee. They were published for the public record prior to the report. Associates of former President Donald Trump who were not referred to uh, for criminal charges are not breathing a sigh of relief yet. Just the opposite. They now have actions confirmed by sworn testimony that is now evidence passed over to the Department of Justice. Those people that testified, presuming they testified truthfully because they were under oath and could have been charged with perjury, now they have to worry about not just the January 6th committee seeing their testimony, Now the DOJ is going to say it, and the DOJ is the one that has the authority to issue indictments. Even though they weren't referred criminally to the DOJ, that doesn't mean they're out of the fucking woods, not by any means. What was portrayed and downplayed by many Republicans as forgetfulness, false conspiracy, and eagerness to indict has been contradicted by the release of the report that served more as an incubator for evidence than a platform to charge all involved. The J6 committee in Congress never had the power to indict anybody. What they were really there for is to dig out the evidence, expose it to us, give us full transparency, hand it over to the DOJ, add it to the stuff they already have because of the grand juries they have for the January 6th insurrection, and ultimately make the choice to indict. And I think they are going to do a lot of indictments. Donald Trump is the focus, there's no question there, but there's a lot of people around him in the administration, in Congress, outside of politics, Jenny Thomas, Rudy Giuliani, and Roger Stone, all of these people should be having sleepless nights because the evidence is there and the DOJ is now looking at it. And uh, with the DOJ, you don't fuck around. You don't say, yeah, you know, I don't want to come to the subpoena. I don't want to talk. 
You can try to plead the fifth, but that doesn't help you because that's basically admitting that you did something criminally. And now the DOJ is going to say, hmm, we may be able to check that out. Now, there was a lot of witnesses that were pleading the fifth, protecting their right not to self-incriminate during a government interview. The Department of Justice now can play hangman with the discovered evidence, filling in the blanks by sending out subpoenas to those who did not want to offer up known information to the January 6th committee or had sudden memory lapses. So they can plead the fifth and then they get this evidence and they go, oh, let's give you a little reminder. This is what you said. And that's going to be a problem for them. They're going to be put in the corner themselves And they aren't going to have the option to just ignore it like they did with the J6 committee. So there are five Trump associates that should be fearful that their actions or inactions detailed in the January 6th committee report will put them under an even closer microscope of scrutiny once it gets over to the Department of Justice. Those people include Ivanka and Jared Kushner. Oh, I would love to see them put have their feet put to the fire. As with any Trump business transaction or social occurrence, you always have to look first at the family tree. Now, one of the earliest leaks from the report days before it was published was that it singles out a high-level uncooperative behavior from Ivanka Trump, from drawing blanks or logistical questions to not remembering where she was at crucial time periods on January 6th, convenient to the memory lapse. This might make her testimony a little suspect. And if they've got evidence that's contrary to what she said, oh, she's got a problem. Now, as for Kushner, one of the main questions to be answered from J6 is regarding what communications silos was Kushner using during the insurrection. Was he playing a role of reinforcement to the Trump family political contacts, or was he leading a whole different lane of communications with his and the family's corporate businesses and allies? Yeah, we ain't done with Ivanka and Jared. They've got to answer some more questions. And this time, this time these questions are going to be coming from the Department of Justice. Now, there's another woman. Her name is Julie Fancelli. I've not heard about this woman before. Um, there's, there's more than a passing theme of word of irony when this heiress of the public's supermarket chain is implicated via a public report in her role with the January 6th scheme by funding bus transportation for hundreds of Trump supporters to the insurrection. So this heiress to Publix apparently provided funding for buses to get these toothless rednecks up to the Capitol. Now, during her deposition, Fancelli repeatedly attempted to invoke four different amendments in lieu of responding. Whether those amendments were being used in correct context or not, who knows? Ironically enough, her deposition, in which she is clearly grabbing for straws, may lead to a mess That's a lot bigger than a cleanup on aisle nine. This woman who thinks she was just helping out, that she wasn't important, may be in a fucking heap of trouble. Now, one other person that's also going to be in trouble is a woman by the name of Kaylee McEnany. 
you remember her. She's a communications person that took over for the other one, whatever the fuck her name is. She might even be the governor of Arkansas now. But by turning over text messages from and around January 6th to the committee earlier this year, McEnany may have saved herself from the highest level of initial scrutiny from a possible DOJ investigation. But as the transcripts come out of there, there are lingering questions about McEnany's role in the communications gap during the insurrection. Now, there are text messages between Trump administration surrogate Katrina Pearson and Mark Meadows. They have surfaced in the public report where Meadows places full responsibility of the insurrection to Trump's rhetoric and messaging. If that is the case, what was the responsibility of McEnany, then press secretary, in making sure the communications to stop the insurrection got to the general public? Did she do her job? What was fucking up with her? Now, according to the transcripts of the testimony from the House Select Committee, Haley or Kaylee McEnany ghosted former President Trump when he tried to call her after she received a subpoena as part of the committee's investigation. She gets a committee from J6. Donald Trump calls her. Not a surprise. What do you think? What do you think Donnie wanted? Maybe to find out what she was going to wear? No, I don't think so. I think he was going to put pressure on her to answer the questions properly or to not answer the questions. And there we go back to witness tampering, which is a serious offense. It's all right there in the records. It's all there in the evidence. This is a problem for McEnany, and it's an even bigger problem for Donald Trump. Now, McEnany revealed this during an interview with Liz Cheney, one of the committee's two Republican members. And you know Liz Cheney grasped onto that motherfucker. Donald Trump is calling her after she had a subpoena. <clears throat> now, keep in mind, he's not in office anymore. She doesn't work with him as uh, as an employee, as a press secretary. So why would he call her? Donald Trump makes a lot of calls. And what he fails to understand is these calls can be recorded. His voice can be recorded of him breaking laws a la Georgia and uh, Brad Raffensperger. McKay... McEnany says, I believe shortly after I was subpoenaed, I received a call from President Trump, but I did not answer the call, she said. As I noted to the committee, I have not spoken with him since being subpoenaed, but that's all the best. That's all to the best of my recollection. I might have received another text I'm forgetting about. So, you know, she did. She's trying to cover her ass. She says she didn't take the call, which was the smart thing to do. But she's saying, I may have gotten a text. Well, I got to tell you, if you got a text from Donald Trump, I guarantee you when he sent that text, he was also trying to pressure you to do what he wanted you to do. The question is, did you do what he wanted you to do? And uh, Cheney asked, and have you talked to anybody in the Trump family about the investigation? And I love how they always start these answers. To the best of my recollection, no. But maybe I did. 
I paused because Laura Trump and I are friends, so she might have texted me, but I don't I don't recall any text regarding the committee. More you know, I see you on Fox and Friends. Great job. Good to work with you at Fox. That kind of thing. She went on to say Trump administration officials, Stephen Miller and Cash Patel, who are flat out fucking psycho criminals, also reached out to her and that she had conversations with a family member who works for House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy prior to giving testimony under subpoena. So she was interacting with these people. You don't think these people were relaying information to her and uh, relaying her information to Donnie. You know that's what fucking happened. And that's why she keeps saying, to the best of my recollection, she's trying not to lie and hoping against hope they don't find out about everything. Now, this comes after prior reporting that McElney, McEl- why can't I say it? McEnany uh, deliberately avoided Trump in the immediate aftermath uh, uh, 2020 presidential election because she was concerned he would lean on her to push voter fraud conspiracy theories. Well, of course he would. Again, that was a smart thing that McEnany did. I'm not talking to Donald Trump because I know what he's going to do. He's going to do the exact opposite of what a good a legitimate president would do, but she knew he would. She knew what kind of criminal fuck he was. Now, of course, we have a lot of uh, trump fuck media people out there, and there's one guy that just fucking annoys me. Republican and founder of Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk. He's this kid, you know, like all these other kids that are trump fucks has issued a first salvo in his attempt to replace GOP chair Ronna McDaniel by issuing a warning that his organization and affiliate groups will withdraw their support if they do not approve of party leadership. So the pressure is on Ronna McDaniel. And who could potentially replace her? There's another guy. I don't remember his name because he's fucking nobody. But he is a big-time Trump humper, and I'm sure they're going to push for him. But we can't forget about Mike Lindell. He claims he's running for the chair of the RNC. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. It's going to be a similar situation to um, the Speaker of the House election. You've got people in the same group pulling at each other. They can't agree. They are blaming Ronna McDaniel for the midterms. Ronna McDaniel is a piece of shit. But nobody could have saved the midterms for the Republicans based on what the vast majority of the Republicans have done. They were going to lose. They were going to have a poor showing at the midterms. There's no question about it. That was just going to fucking happen. They can try to blame Ronna McDaniels and they can replace her, but it doesn't matter. It's just leadership to the Republican Party and the Republican Party, generally speaking, as far as I'm concerned, is done over the next year or so, at least the way we see it now. Now, Charlie Kirk has been vocal in his support for replacing McDaniel with Harmeet Dillon a popular GOP member from the California GOP committee, and he recently staged a straw poll that ended up in her favor. 
I stand corrected. It wasn't a, a crazy male Trump humper. It was a crazy female Trump humper. And he talked about this at some organizational event in Phoenix. Now, Dylan gained recognition and fame as a legal consultant for former President Donald Trump. See, he's got to get his nose stuck in there somehow. He needs an advocate. He needs somebody who's going to perpetuate his bullshit. And that's who they have as a legitimate choice over Ronna McDaniel. Now, Ronna McDaniel is bad. But this other woman is fucking nuts. That's the last thing the Republican Party needs. I'm sure the people that are the more reasonably minded, at least at this point, are just freaking out. You've got Ronna McDaniel, who is somewhat acceptable, but a failure. You've got this crazy Trump humper or Mike Lindell. Not a lot of options there. Not a lot of fucking options. Now, according to the Washington Post, Kirk sent an email to over 150 members of the Republican National Committee, putting them on notice that his organization, supporters, staff, and affiliate group will leave the party unless drastic changes are implemented. Yeah, of course, they are blaming Ronald McDaniel for the midterms. And And this is where, to me, the Republicans are not thinking like they should think. They want to blame it on Donald Trump, but they think Trumpism and Trump policies are still fine. Don't they realize that overturning Roe v. Wade and some of the other crazy stuff is really why they lost the midterms? They don't seem to get it. And that's fine. If you're a Democrat, you want them to fail. You want them to do stupid shit because come 2024, they don't have a fucking prayer in the presidential election. Now, in the message obtained by Washington Post, Kirk said, how do we plan to win in 2024 if you so boldly reject listening to the grassroots, our donors and the biggest organization and voices in the conservative movement? Now, Charlie Kirk I'm sure he's got a big audience. He's got a big following and all this stuff. But why is it that all these Republicans, these Trumplefucks, thinks they're the epitome of power? That just because it comes out of their mouth, it's as if it's a, a direct quote from God and everybody's got to bow to them. Charlie Kirk and all these other fucks. Nick Fuentes. They think they have power and control. And if they do... It's only because the Republicans allow them to have power. And if they allow them to have power, they are making a huge fucking mistake. If they want to rehabilitate this party and make it viable for 2024, sticking with the MAGAs is just not the way to fucking go. Not only Donald Trump, but the policies and the conspiracy theories and the bullshit. They can't stick with that because they can't win with that. I just don't understand how they don't see that. Now, in the message, uh, the message continued with threatening language that Kirk and his organization would ensure that we will have the most stunted and muted Republican Party in history of the conservative movement, the likes of which you haven't seen in generations if their demands continued to be ignored. <laughs> I like that phrase. It's stolen right from Donald Trump. Likes of which you haven't seen in generations. <laughs> Mr. Tough Guy. 
Yeah, you go ahead and fuck up the Republican Party. We Democrats will sit back and just giggle our asses off as you do it. Kirk has used the opportunity to introduce his new initiative called the Mount Vernon Project, which will possession uh, selected leaders to run for statewide office. Kirk let RNC members know that his financial supporters are in full support of the new initiative for the Arizona-based organization. Oh, great. Fucking Arizona. So it goes back to what I've said before. The Republican Party has never been weaker than they are now because they're fighting amongst themselves. We got the Republicans in the House of Representatives pissed off at the Republicans in the Senate because they backed this omnibus bill. They as much as told them that anything you send us, we're just going to uh, negate. (laughs) Well, that's a good idea. Take everything your Republican Party tries to do and you try to shut it down. You don't care if it reflects on your party badly and it costs you election. You just want what you want now. Yeah, you go ahead and do that. That's perfect. I'm going to enjoy watching you be the tough guy and then lose election after election. I'm almost to the point where I'm not really even worried about the Republican Party. They're like Donald Trump. They are without question going to fuck themselves over. They did it for the 2022 midterms. They don't see how they fucked up and they aren't willing to fix it. And they're just going to fuck up 2024. At some point, with these investigations and these indictments coming out, there's going to be have to have to be a dramatic change in the Republican Party. They're either going to go full MAGA, which is going to be a loser for them, and they will fade away into history because they'll never win another election again. Or they're going to try to go with the more reasonably minded, or at least the people that want to step away from MAGA. But if they do that, it's going to take some time. They aren't going to be ready by 2024. By 2024, these two factions will still be fighting it out. And as long as they're doing it, nothing will be accomplished by the Republicans. They just can't. It's, I mean, there isn't enough voters out there for them to win if they were completely unified. You split them up, and then they become a joke. They aren't even close to the Democrats. The Democrats will wipe them off the board. So if the Republicans want to continue this way, Godspeed. Go ahead and do it. I'm going to love watching it and watch you fail. And if you're too stupid to recognize that, good for you. It's just going to make things so much easier for the Democrats come 2024. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for spending time today and listening on this Christmas Eve. I believe I will do a podcast for tomorrow. If none of you listen, I wouldn't be surprised and I won't be hurt by it. You should be spending time with your family. But I'm going to do it because that's my shift. Midnight every night, I do a show. And um, later tonight into tomorrow morning, I'll do another show. Now, I can't guarantee it's going to be a good show. Or it's going to be a long show. Probably won't. But we'll find out when we get there. So we'll see what happens. I hope you have a great holiday, a great Christmas Eve, or whatever it is you are uh, 
uh, celebrating. And if you're not celebrating anything, I still hope you have an awesome day. And uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.